And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It's Monday as we uh, get ready to move into mid-month already now. This Friday, of course, coming up right around the corner. Options expiration day, right? So... That really kind of marks the middle of the month. And then, of course, moving into uh, the Christmas holidays. And, you know, if you're living here in Texas, right, Houston, Austin, got a little cold snap coming through. So, yeah, you know, started actually this weekend. I was out, you know, working out and stuff this weekend. It was like 74 degrees, I think, like on Friday. I'm like, this is not, <laughs> this is not December weather. Caught up on Friday, Sunday, so there you go. Um, but anyway, so uh, Brent's back from his uh, excursion uh, up to the big state of Oklahoma. Indian territory. Cold, right? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> cold in Oklahoma. Cold in o- and windy. <laughs> there you go. So uh, back, uh, of course, uh, as right after this week, of course, we're starting to wrap everything up for Christmas, get ready for the end of the year. New Year's, of course, right around the corner. So look, I mean, this year is coming to a very rapid close. Now, uh, kind of big news coming up this week, couple of things. Uh, first of all, on Wednesday, we've got the Federal Reserve is the FOMC meeting, and that's where the Fed's going to talk about maybe hiking rates. Um, how aggressive they're going to be about hiking rates and you know expectations now are almost 100% that the Fed will hike rates at least three times in 2022. Now importantly you're starting to see a lot of charts and graphs out right now. I was like oh don't worry about the Fed hiking rates. Stocks always do well after the initial rate hike. Yeah they do and the reason is you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, putting your car in neutral and rolling downhill, right? So once the car's got momentum, that, you know, it's going to take a bit of braking to actually slow the car down uh, while you're heading downhill. That's kind of the way with the markets, right? Right now, markets are moving higher. There's a lot of momentum behind the markets. Markets are up about 26% for the year. It's been a good year for, the, for stocks. Um, so it's going to take more than just one rate hike to start to put on the brakes, at least to cause investors concern that you know higher interest rates are going to lead to margin compression uh, in terms of profit margins slow down economic activity etc as rates start to come up but again what we don't know and historically looking back in in history is we don't know at what rate what level right the next rate hike will be and again as we go back through history the first rate hike that eh, doesn't matter too much second rate hike no nah, no real concern third rate hike no nah, no real problem But somewhere along the way, the Fed hikes rates and all of a sudden everything stops. And that's where the break actually took a hold of the economy. Now, here's the one thing we do know with absolute certainty. Actually, two things that we know with absolute certainty. One is that rate hikes do matter to stocks at some point. We just don't know what point that is. The second thing that we know is, is that going back to 1980, we know that every single time the Fed hiked rates, the peak of the rate hikes was lower than the previous peak. So in other words, it's taking fewer and fewer rate hikes or increases in rates to lead to an economic impact. Case in point, go back to 2018, the Fed's hiking rates. And all of a sudden in September, they're hiking rates. And they say, well, we're not close to a neutral rate yet. And that was all it took. And the market was down 20% in two months. So the point here is that, yes, you're going to see a lot of bullish commentary coming out. Hey, don't worry about rate hikes. Stocks don't care. 
they do care. It's just a question of when. So make sure that you're at least managing the risk in your portfolio. We talked a lot about that this weekend. Now, when I talk about managing risk, that people automatically interpret that as like, oh my gosh, sell everything, go to cash. No, that's not what we're saying at all, of course. But you know, we do need to understand that there is risk as we move into 2022. Near term, we may have some sloppy action this, this week because of, you know, again, the announcement from the Federal Reserve could impact stocks depending on how hawkish they are. Uh, the second thing, of course, is on Friday's options expiration. We've got record put, you know, record call options out right now. So again, you know, there's a potential here that we could see some repositioning of, of portfolios and things getting ready to, to go into the end of the year. So we could see some sloppy trading this week, but whatever that happens this week, um, the next two weeks tend to be fairly bullish for stocks. And again, moving into the end of the year, that's traditional Santa Claus rally. Now, is there a 100% chance that we're gonna have a rally between now and the end of the year? No, there's not a 100% chance. There's a very high probability about 80% of the time that you do, but there is about 20, 25% of the time that stocks don't rally in the last couple of weeks of the year. 2018 is a good example of that. Right now, we don't really have the backdrop that would suggest that we would have weaker prices going into the end of the year. A lot of mutual fund managers kind of behind the curve. So again, expect that you're going to see some money coming in markets. Uh, markets did close slightly below an all-time high on Friday. So again, we're kind of starting to push up, but there is room uh, for the markets to rise up to about, oh, roughly around 48, uh, you know, 4,800 on the S&P right now. So again, you know, about another 50, 70 point, you know, 50, 80 points on the S&P to the upside certainly wouldn't be surprising. I don't expect the market to rally that far by the end of the year, but there is room uh, uh, right now. And we've just registered a, a very uh, good kind of buy signal from a lower level. So again, there's a lot of, of bullish kind of buy points here. We've been adding exposure to portfolios for the last two weeks and kind of getting ready for this. And we'll probably do some more with any type of sloppy action this week, add a little bit more money to, to the portfolios as well. But again, this has been a very good year. Markets are very overbought short term. So again, any type of little sloppy trading this week, kind of a good opportunity to maybe pick up the exposure. Once we get through the end of the year and into the first five days of January, kind of all bets are off. Now, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of things happening right now. The Democrats are trying to pass the, the Build Back Better bill. And they're trying to pass off this idea that it won't cost you anything. Uh, it will. The CBO came out and said, mm, yeah, it'll cost $3 trillion. That $1.5 trillion in spending is going to cost you $3 trillion over 10 years. It's a deal at any price. But <laughs> we're gonna, they're working on getting that passed. Of course, we also have the debt ceiling coming up. We've also got um, a lot of other issues. So there are some, certainly some things here in the near term that could lead to some kind of some concern about markets, particularly with inflation. We had a record high inflation print on Friday uh, here just recently. So again, you know, inflation was up almost 7%. However, as we've talked about previously, if you strip out uh, you know, healthcare and you know, basically rent payments, because most people's rent and healthcare is, is pretty much contractually fixed for at least a year, um, if not longer, uh, like with your mortgage. So when you strip those out, what's the real cost of living? That's food and gas and those things you pay for every single week. Uh, that's almost 10%. If you actually add in real house price increases instead of homeowners equivalent rent, inflation was 11%. So again, once you begin to look at what people really pay for inflation, that's certainly not, you know, uh, that's certainly outstripping 
their ability to, to bring in wages. Wage growth is not keeping up with inflationary pressures. That is going to lead to consumption problems, particularly economic growth problems as we get into next year. But again, this is kind of next year. That's what I'm saying. Once we get kind of through the next two weeks and into uh, you know 2022, the ball is going to change a little bit in terms of what we're talking about economically. Economic growth is going to weaken in terms of its rates of growth. That's just kind of the year-over-year -year comparisons. And of course, we're going to have less liquidity in the system. The Fed's talking about you know, continuing to taper their balance sheet, particularly hiking rates. That's going to tighten monetary policy. So there are some certainly some fairly decent headwinds moving into 2022 that you need to be aware of. But right now in the short term, it's okay to be a little bit bullish here going into the year because statistically speaking, and you know, technically the way we're set up right now, we should get that rally to the year end. Um, after that, though, we want to be a little bit more cautious. Of course, we'll keep you up to date on all this. Uh, go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out, talking a little, about, uh, a little bit about inflation. We're going to get into that when we come back from the break. But that's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So Getty Images, Harley Davidson. You know, it's interesting as we talk about markets and, you know, exuberance, there are certainly signs that we are seeing market exuberance. And, and this, and I'm going to get into inflation here in just a minute, um, but this is kind of all part part of it. Headline right now, Harley Davidson to merge its EV motorcycle line with Livewire uh uh, it's a motorcycle line called Livewire with a SPAC. Um, we've seen a lot of that this year. We've seen companies uh, moving into SPACs. Now, if you're not familiar with what a SPAC is, it's a special purpose acquisition company, right? And the, this is kind of an interesting way to go public. So there's a... So somebody registers with the NASDAQ a publicly traded shell. So there's a publicly traded company it's registered with the NASDAQ. It's on the pink sheet, you know, whatever it is. And they have no business, right? There's no business at all. And so what these SPACs do, these special purpose acquisition companies, is they say, Brent, write me a check for, you know, $5 million, whatever it is, because he's a, you know, he's a very wealthy executive producer of the Lance Roberts show. Um and so he writes me a check for $5 million. And he says, well, what's the $5 million for? And, he, and I say, well, I don't know yet. We're going to try to go find something to buy with your money. Now, it sounds like a good idea, right? I'm just going to give somebody money. This is the way this works, right? This is called, these are called blank 
check companies. I basically give you a blank check and you try to go out and find something. Now, what could possibly go wrong with that, right? Too much money chasing too few deals. What could possibly go wrong? But this has been, this is kind of one of those signs of market exuberance. What we see at the peak of markets throughout history, whether it's 2000 or wherever it was, is that you see a record number of IPOs and you see IPOs of companies that really shouldn't be going public. I mean, you know, the idea of going public is that you're a fully mature company. You've been a private company for a long time. You're very successful. You're profitable. And then you go public and you share the, you know, you share your company with, with, with stakeholders who give you more capital to continue to exp, you know, expand your business. But when markets get into a very greedy state, remember that Wall Street is there to provide you product. So when investors are very greedy and they're willing to throw money at anything at any price, Wall Street says, hey, we got a whole bunch of these companies, these private equity companies that we invested capital in. They still suck. And they're not making any money. And, and really, honestly, they're probably not going to make money. But let's get them public and sell them to everybody else so we can get our money back out of it. That's what an IPO is. IPOs are how insiders of companies and the people that back the company get their money out. These companies aren't IPOing for your personal benefit. <laughs> they're IPOing for their benefit. They're getting their capital out of the business. And this is why right now that you see insiders of companies selling stock at a record pace because prices are high and insiders that have been granted shares are selling them back to the company. And this is why I've, I've said before on the show, stock buybacks are not a return of capital to you. They're a return of capital to insiders of companies who were granted shares. If you want to sell your shares of your of, of Apple, you can sell it anytime you want in the open market. You, you know, you're not selling it back to the company. The company's not returning capital to you when they do stock buybacks. They are benefiting the insiders who were granted stock by the company who are then selling it back to the company for capital. That's why executives are wealthy. So but that's what's going on. And, you know, these signs of exuberance in the markets, right? They're, they're kind of everywhere. So you got companies that are like, you know, I'm not sure this company's ever going to make money. So I'm going to shove it inside of a SPAC. I'm going to take it public. I'm going to get my money out of it. And, and um, you know, we'll, we'll sell it off to investors. Another sign of exuberance is on our website this morning. I wrote an article called uh, Momo Stocks, a sign of exuberance. CNBC has just launched a new index. And it's called the Next Gen 50 Index. And, of course, they uh, launched this index. I'll just read you the quote. CNBC is launching a new index focusing on young people who are intimately experienced with investing in stocks for the long term. Younger workers and younger investors, it is called the CNBC Next Generation 50 Index. This index will track 50 equal weighted stocks integral to the lives and careers of millennials and those from Gen Z. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> so how did they come by these 50 stocks, right? So obviously they probably went and spoke to, you know, money managers and, you know, professional investors and said, you know, what what are the stocks that, you know, are, are good, strong, fundamental companies that are going to be around for the next 
you know, 50 years or so. No. CNBC compiled the index after weeks. They spent weeks, mind you, of research. From the networks, younger reporters and producers, you know, individuals that manage money for a living, working on both television and the digital sides of the business with the final vetting from the one and only Jim Cramer. As a reference point, after compiling the basket of stocks, CNBC's data and research team backdated the index to the start of 2021. So it's got a really long history here. Um, the, since then, the stock index is up almost 40%. Sounds awesome. However, it has also been a victim of the recent uncertainty, the volatility, and has dropped 17% in the last month. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. This is this we, we have seen this before, and this is really kind of the premise of the article. You know, it's, what's going on in the markets right now is not new. Back in 1999, there was a cover on Forbes that says a bunch of kids are tormenting Wall Street, and this is where these young traders were buying and selling stocks, day trading, you know, online. Yes, you could do it back then in 1999 as well. A little different, but they were still doing it. And of course, you know, today we're talking about, you know, the meme stocks and the, the Reddit raiders and all this other stuff. But, you know, this isn't the first time that CNBC has launched an index that really pretty much marked the peak of a market. We've seen these things before. Um, and generally, about the time that you start to see these type of things come along, you're, you're near a peak. That doesn't mean you're at the peak. It just means you're getting near a peak, right? It's just exuberance multiplied. And of course, you know, nobody better to vet the CNBC 50 index than the one and only Jim Cramer, who, by the way, in uh, March of 2000, now if you were alive back in, the March of 2000 marked the peak of the dot-com bubble. Um, it was 50% lower two years later. That was the, the month that Jim Cramer launched his top 10 stocks for the next millennia. <laughs> 724 Solutions, Ariba, Digital Island, Exodus, Infospace, Inkatomi, Mercury, and Inactive, Sonera, Verisign. Of that list, only about two are still around today. The rest uh, either went bankrupt or merged because they were about to fail. So again, you know, just because Jim Cramer vets something doesn't mean <laughs> that it's all that good of an investment. But um, it is a sign of, of this kind of exuberance. And again, we're seeing it with SPACs. We're seeing it with IP, record IPOs, stock buybacks. You're just seeing this kind of everywhere that you look within the markets. So again, you know, it doesn't mean that you were at the peak of the market, right? It doesn't mean like tomorrow that's the peak of the market. No, I mean, this, this market has room to run. Uh, in fact, Goldman Sachs has just come out with a new article this morning, a new research report this morning, and they're basically going all in on just kind of an end-of-the-year face-ripping Santa Claus rally, which I don't disagree with. I think that's very possible because you have a lot of exuberance in the market. You've got a lot of capital on the um, you know, in the markets, and the money's got to go somewhere. And if you take a look at valuation gap between the S&P 500 and every other index in the world, it's a massive gap in valuation. In other words, all the money in the world is flowing into 
the S&P 500 index for the most part. And again, that's that's not surprising. This is where all the performance has been. So it's just sucking in capital from everywhere. And again, you know, we go back to 99 or 2008. We saw the same thing. We saw a lot of foreign inflows coming into the U.S. because of the performance. The difference this time is that the magnitude is about three or four times as much as it was back at the peak of the market in 1999. It's just a, a incredible tsunami of capital being thrown into these stocks. You know, Apple right now, which is in the top you know, five stocks in the S&P 500, is nearing a $3 trillion valuation. I mean, it's just huge. It's it's got its market cap is larger than the GDP of some countries. So, you know, it's it's just a, a, a an incredibly bullish market and valuations have been thrown out the window. Nobody cares about it. It's just about all about price. And that's just part of the cycle that we're in, that psychological exuberance of markets. And, and typically that is the type of activity. And, and again, when you kind of match it up with you know, record IPOs and these SPAC issuances and record stock buybacks, insiders just dumping their shares as pretty much as fast as they can sell them right now. Um, you know, market exuberance is just really beginning to reach a peak. And the question, of course, is always is, can it be sustained, right? How long can this last? It can last a long time. It generally lasts until one of three things happen. The Fed starts hiking interest rates. The Fed starts tapering their balance sheet or the yield curve inverts. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about inflation. Why inflation is going to fall sharply next year. Yeah. And it's not because of why you think. Talk about that after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. It's uh, 6.33 as we get uh, this morning's show underway as you're driving into work on this Monday, heading into the middle of December. Just hang in there. Year's almost over. By the way, what a bleak picture you paint. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, it's just going to work on Monday. Love it. <laughs> I know every night I go to bed so excited to wake up on Monday and go to work. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
In this weekend's newsletter, we touched a little bit on inflation. And, you know, one of the big concerns right now, of course, is, you know, inflation's running hot, um, near a near 7% print. And, you know, if you really look at what inflation is running for the average American, well, you know, that's actually a lot more um, when you factor in things like fuel and food and, you know, things you use every day. Um, we strip those out of CPI, but, you know, people have to pay that. But I have good news for you because next year inflation will drop sharply. And this is all courtesy of the Bureau of Economic Analysis, who will change the weights of CPI. Um, you know, and this is not the first time this has been done. We go back to 1980. Um, we started messing with the weights in, in CPI. And then in the late 90s, under the Clinton administration, the Boston Commission came in and changed the formulation for CPI. Why? And it was to reduce the rate of inflation so that cost of living adjustments for Social Security could be controlled. Now, you remember that there was a brief moment in time in the, in, under the Clinton administration that we ran a surplus for government. And that was because he borrowed about $2 trillion from Social Security, replaced it with IOUs, and put that money onto the books of you know, the balance sheet. Uh, of the government, we had a, a surplus for a minute, and then it went away because we didn't change our spending. But in order to help sustain Social Security payments and Social Security trust fund, we had to start tinkering with the rate of inflation to control the rate of payouts and Social Security benefits. And, you know, it's interesting. I listen to people who talk about, so Social Security is never going to go away. Well, it's, it's not going to go away. It's, it's, you're you're going to get payments. It's just going to require a whole lot more debt to make those payments because we're not adjusting what we have to do to fix. We, you know, we keep adding more beneficiaries to Social Security, but we have fewer and fewer people paying into it. So, again, we don't want to make the adjustments to, to sustain that welfare program. We don't want to make those changes because nobody wants to give up what they what they think they're entitled to and it's not your money you pay into social security for other people that's the whole point of welfare right it's not you don't have a bank account at social security with your name on it it's just not the way it works but you know we keep making these adjustments so that we can sustain that survivability of that program well bls is, uh, the bea is going to help you with that by changing the calculation so now how are they changing the, the weights? Well, they're going to go look at what you spent money on in 2019 and 2020. And based on how you spent your money in 2019 and 2020, they'll adjust the weights of CPI. Now, what were you doing in 2020? Not much. <laughs> You're locked up in your house. You have a 30% decline in the economy in quarter two. So what do you think is going to happen to the weighting and a lot of these things in CPI, right? You're going to compress CPI. So when they make this adjustment to CPI, CPI is going to have a fairly significant reduction in the rate of inflation. So feel good about that because that means the cost of things that you're spending money on is magically going to adjust overnight. Not. <laughs> this is the problem with CPI. It really doesn't match up with any type of, of reality of what goes on. It's because we've been dinkering with it now, you know, it, you know, 
really going back to 1980, but really started messing with it, creating things like hedonic adjustments and all this other stuff with CPI starting in 1998. And so CPI doesn't reflect anything of inequality. And this is the whole problem with anything that involves math is that, you know, if I have a if I have a, an outcome that I want to get, I want to goal seek an outcome. All I have to do is adjust my internal variables until I can get that outcome that I want. Now, that doesn't tell you anything about the real reality of inflation, right? But it's it solves my problem because now all these Social Security retirees that are sitting out there who are going to get a 5-6% bump to COLA from last year, next year they're not going to get that. Even though the cost of living will still be higher, their cost of living adjustment won't keep up with it. So that'll help sustain Social Security payouts a little while longer because inflation will come down. But, you know, I find the timing of the adjustment interesting as well. I mean, here it is, you know, the current president, his ratings are very depressed right now in terms of his performance on the economy. And part of that is inflation. People are upset about the price of gas at the pump. People are upset about the price of food. People are upset about going to the store and can't find what you want to buy, right? So people are upset about that. Supply chain disruptions, et cetera, all feeding into that from the shutdown of the economy. Can't really seem to get that stuff fixed. So, you know, we need some good news. So we adjust the rate of inflation lower. So everybody will feel better. See? Solved your problem. However, the issue is going into next year is that inflation is a problem. And you can adjust and tinker with the formula, but it's not going to solve the problem of what companies deal with. And again, now we go back to talking about the stock market. Right now, stocks are running on expectations that earnings are going to continue to just grow at an exponential rate going into next year and that somehow magically earnings are going to catch up with the overvaluation of the market. The problem, though, is, is that once we get into next year, these higher costs are going to feed into the profit margin of these companies. As long as companies can pass on higher costs, they can maintain their profit margins. But given that wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation, at some point, consumers are going to have to start to claw back their consumption. In fact, we're starting to see that a little bit already. We saw that with retail sales here recently. Not nearly as strong as expected. Black Friday sales, not, not as strong as expected. Consumers are having to make adjustments. So in order to keep my product sales up, I've got to start absorbing some of that inflation. That's going to impact my profit margins. If I have to keep pay, pay, paying, if I have to keep paying people higher wages, but I can't raise my prices, that's going to start eating into my profit margins. So one of the big things that we're going to be looking very closely at next year is profit margin compression. Because while earnings are being manipulated by stock buybacks, profit margins are not so manipulable. So watching what corporate profits do can tell us a lot about the strength of economic growth, the valuation of, the, of companies, etc. So again, once we get into next year, and we're already starting to see this a lot with companies announcing earnings. I mean, you've seen recently... 
quite a few companies announce earnings and their earnings were okay. They said, you know, yeah, we beat earnings, but our outlook, let's talk about that. The outlook wasn't so good. And companies like DocuSign, Adobe, others, they all took a pretty good hair clip because of this outlook for next year, weaker growth. And if we begin to see that mature, that's going to put more pressure on stocks. Again, stocks are extremely elevated here. There's really no arguing or denying that. And we can make justifications that it's, you know, well, low rates justify high valuations, maybe, but now the Fed's going to start raising interest rates. You know, the Fed's QE justifies overpaying for stocks, but yeah, the Fed's about to start tapering that QE. In fact, they've already started it. So the question becomes, you know, navigating a very overvalued, elevated, exuberant market. And again, going back to what we were talking about in the last segment, you just got to be a little bit careful here. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest. I'm not saying that at all. But you need to start thinking about the next year. The markets are very exuberant about next year. I would say overly exuberant. And you've got a lot of things going on next year. You've got the Fed hiking rates. You've got, you know, the, the Fed tapering their balance sheet. You know, the yield curve is flattening. And, and really, those are your three big signs, right? When you to go back and look at, you know, previous history, you can tie pretty much every recession or market downturn to one of three things. Either the Fed was tightening policy, they were raising rates, and then since 2008, we have to deal with QE, right? So they were either expanding or contracting, you know, quantitative easing. And the yield curve. Yield curve has had a perfect record of predicting recessions every single time, and you know, everybody was in, in 2019, everybody was like, oh, yield curve's inverted, but it's different this time. It wasn't. Never is. Yield curve tells you that there's weakness in the economy, and all it takes is some unexpected exogenous event like a pandemic driven shutdown to cause a recession. You've got all three of those factors working against you going into 2021. Doesn't mean that, you know, next time won't be different. I'm just saying, hey, be aware that the backdrop is changing a little bit. And while we certainly expect to have a very good rally going into the end of the year, and we certainly want to participate that, we're overweight equities in our portfolio right now. We're also looking to 2022 and saying, hey, might be time to pull in the reins a little bit, preserve some capital. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. So a couple of things uh, to wrap up the show. got a question, you know, where do you see the price of gold? You know, everybody keeps hoping that at some point gold's going to come back and actually start to hedge for inflation. Um, what you need for that is fear. Gold is much more, and particularly since 2000, is much more of a kind of almost like a volatility index than it is a a inflation hedge. And what you need is fear in the markets, and which right now you don't have. So <laughs> I saw this great um, kind of this great meme on Twitter the other day. It shows this kid. He's you know crying and and. His dad's looking at him and he says, like, what's wrong? So he says, I thought there was going to be inflation, so I bought gold. And his father says, dummy, you should have bought Bitcoin. And it's kind of the, that's kind of the meme right now. And, you know, that's just kind of where we are. But, you know, there's no demand for a fear trade. Now, eventually there will be. And I suspect that once you begin to get a real fear trade in, and particularly if that fear trade is coincident with a surging headline inflation rate that you know gold will probably start to perform but again until it starts to show some signs of life technically i'm not going to invest capital in it and again we've owned gold previous don't think that i'm a, an anti-gold bug or anything like that we own gold from time to time we've bought gold miners from time to time and you know we've traded those and and for us gold is a commodity gold miners are an equity and so we trade them like any other thing that we trade in our portfolios, right? We look for opportunity, we buy it cheap, we sell it when it gets expensive, um, and we watch momentum. So if momentum is not working, then we're going to move capital somewhere else. So again, right now, we don't own gold in our portfolios, but we might eventually um, when it begins to show some real signs of life. So you know, again, timing is everything, as they say, when you're investing. And, and, be, and this is something to be really careful of. And I get this a lot from people. They go, well, I bought this whatever it was, um, you know, as a long-term investment. And I'm like, great. Okay, so when did you buy it? It's like, well, I bought it last month. Okay. Well, it's not working. What should I do with it? Should I sell it? It's like, well, I thought you bought it for a long-term investment. <laughs> um, look, when you're investing money, you're betting on the future, and there is no – nobody knows the future. Things change. Um, so always manage your portfolio from a standpoint of, yeah, it's, it's great to have a long-term view. We own stocks in our portfolio that we have a very long-term view on. And that's great. But if they aren't working, I'm going to move that capital somewhere else. Now, I'll come back to that company or that investment when it starts to show some signs of life. But I don't have to just have dead money sitting in my portfolio. And this is one of the mistakes that investors make a lot is they have a losing position, so they'll sit on it, hoping it'll come back. And what you wind up with eventually is a whole bunch of portfolio positions that aren't working and none that are, that are working, right? So you, your portfolio gets entirely on the wrong side of the market because you keep waiting for whatever wasn't working to come back. And markets rotate. You know, we've seen this numerous times and we've seen it more and it happens faster today than it happens before. I mean, these rotations in markets from small cap to mid cap to large cap and back to small cap, it happen, happens quickly, right? I mean, it's like small caps are booming for about a month or two and then it's done. Value, right? Last year, this time we were talking about the benefit of value investing and value had a moment in the sun for about three months and that was it. And everybody goes, well, I'm going back to tech stocks because they can move a lot faster. 
but that's where we are in the market. So just understand that investing is great, but you're just simply betting on the future. So manage your risk and your investments accordingly. Because our goal is to make to make money on our capital. That's what our goal is. And, you know, we can have great theses, right? I can I can argue with you all day long on the value of gold and the and the value of fundamental valuations. Why you should buy stocks with cheap PEs. I can we can argue that all day long. I can show you 130 years of financial history that shows you why value investing wins over time. Problem is we're not in a market right now where value works. Now, eventually, we'll get there, and when we get there, guess what? We'll be buying value stocks. But right now, 33% of the S&P 500 is made up of the top 10 stocks. Let me give you a quick stat. Out of the S&P 500 index, 10 stocks make up 33% of the index. It takes the bottom 462 stocks to make up the same market cap as the top 10. Okay, that's not the way the index should, should be working. <laughs> but the reason that the market is sitting at all-time highs is because those top 10 stocks are going up. The bottom 462 stocks have been getting rocked lately. But again, when a company like, say, DocuSign loses 40% of its value, it's such a small constituent weight in the index, it doesn't show up. Or it's not in the S&P. You know, a lot of these companies like Palantir and, uh, you know, a lot of the ARK stocks that are owned by Kathy Wood, they're not in the S&P 500, so they don't impact the index. So we're sitting all talking about, you know, a market near all-time highs. You take a look at the CNBC 50 index, and a lot of those stocks are down 40, 50, 60% from their 52-week highs. So underneath the surface, there's been a lot of people having their shorts yanked down. But if you own the top 10 stocks in the S&P, not so bad. You know, and, and that's, that's the problem. <laughs> I uh, put a tweet out this morning. I said, I'm starting a new index. It's called the Jackson 5. And I'm gonna, all I'm going to do is buy the five largest stocks in the S&P index and rebalance them monthly. And the performance of that would have killed the S&P 500 over the last couple of years. In fact, 70% of the entire advance from six months ago has been the top five stocks in the S&P. So there you go. Now, the problem with that, of course, is when the Jackson 5 becomes the Alabama 5 and they don't work anymore. And they're all sitting on their back porch drinking beer with their dog named Bo. When that happens, the index is going to be in trouble. But until that point, money is hiding in these companies. And the, re and the reason these stocks continue to go up is because that's where all the capital is hiding. See, if I buy a stock like DocuSign as an example, it's a good example. It's a, it's a good recent example because it was down 40% a day. You know, if I got to get out of that stock and I've got a lot of capital in it because I'm a, you know, I, I run a multi-billion dollar, you know, mutual fund as an example. If I've got to get out of that stock position and I start to sell, there's nobody there to buy those shares from me. And I wind up with a 40% decline. I can't afford that to happen. So all these mutual funds and hedge funds 
they've got all this capital that they've got to keep invested because they have to keep it invested. They've got to make a return, right? They've got to beat the index or at least match the index or they're going to lose assets, right? They, they, so they have career risk if they don't match performance. But the risk they run is that they buy a bunch of small companies and they try to get out of them. Then all of a sudden they have big drawdowns. They can't get out of them. There's no liquidity in the markets. So they're all hiding. Everybody's hiding. We are too. <laughs> We're doing it too. We're all hiding in the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, those companies, NVIDIA. We're all hiding a big chunk of our capital in those companies because I can get into it and get out of it very quickly and not move the price. There's so many shares traded every day. I can move in and out and not even show up on the radar in terms of affecting the price. A lot of other companies that can't do that. And the problem with a lot of these other companies is like with DocuSign, you wake up one morning, you're down 40%, and you're like, well, what the hell just happened? How did I just lose half my money? And that's not the kind of risk you want in your portfolio. So this is the environment that we're in, right? And so, you know, all of this matters as we head into next year. Go by the website, and uh, we've got an article out this morning talking about the CNBC 50 index. I mean, that's, that is the kind of sign of exuberance in the markets right now. A couple other quick headlines this morning. Hackers are blamed for a cream cheese shortage. And if you think that was bad, there's a cave that you can rent in Boulder, Utah. It's 5,700 square feet. It's called the Grinch Cave. It is fully booked for this year. You can't even rent it now. But it's a 5,700-foot residence, collaboration between Dr. Seuss Enterprises and vacation rental management company Vacasa. Um, the company updated a site recently revealed that stays were snatched up fast, and the cave is now booked solid. Each room in the cave is designed to look like the Grinch's home, including the kitchen, music room, two bedrooms, and more. And the shelves are stocked with... Spam and who hash. You know what the room rate is? Uh, are you asking me or are you telling me? I'm sort of leading you along. Okay, so lead me along. 1997 a night. 1957 a night. Missed it by a few years. Yeah. It only costs $19.57 per night to stay in the cave. That was when the, the book was first published. Right. Um, I'm sure I'm sure that very soon Dr. Seuss and the Grinch who stole Christmas will be banned for some social justice commentary, but you can at least stay in the cave temporarily. We'll leave the line on for you. <laughs> exactly. All right, that wrapped up the show. Uh, get by the website, of course. Uh, get our latest blog post, uh, newsletters on the website as well. It's uh, called Ban Panic Selling Becomes Panic Buying in a Week. That's on the website now. Just click the newsletter link. Um, also, uh, like I said, get our latest blog post. Answers, questions, and comments. If you got it, need help, got a question, need help with something, I answer emails every single day. Happy to help you out. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.